0: Hello, and welcome to RD and the In-Betweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest. and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of RD and the In-Betweens. It's Kelly Priest here and today I'm going to be talking to both sides of a PhD supervisory team. So Edward Mills, who's been on this podcast a few times, talking about writing up his thesis and preparing for your viva, is here today with his PhD supervisor and now postdoc supervisor, Dr Thomas Hinton, to talk about the supervisory relationship from both sides, what makes a good supervisee, what makes a good supervisor, and what advice they have for other students and academics. So, Tom first, are you happy to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so I'm Tom Hinton. I'm a senior lecturer in French in the Department for Modern Languages. Uh, Specialise in the Middle Ages, particularly Medieval French and Occitan.
0: Fab and Edward.
2: Hello, my name's Edward. I am. Just in the process of finishing up my PhD, I've just submitted my corrections uh, in modern languages, um, work on many of the similar areas to Tom, really, which is appropriate, I think, given the, the focus for, for this podcast.
0: So, yeah, we're going to talk about the supervisory relationship and the particular supervisory relationship that Tom and Edward have experienced over the past four years. So I guess the best thing to do is go right back to the start, back to the beginning. So, how did... You come to be Tom's student, Edward.
1: So
2: I'm very fortunate, I think. Um, and one thing which I'm conscious of in this episode is I'm going to give everybody supervisor envy. Um, <laughs> but to to go way back, um, it actually happened because of um, an email that we sent out. So I was working in France after finishing my master's and my uh, master's... Uh, supervisor who knew that myself and another um, master's candidate were interested in doing PhDs occasionally sent out emails to us saying you know have you seen this opportunity for funding this opportunity for funding and so on and so forth Um, and it just so happened that Tom had sent one round uh, about some funding that was available uh, in Exeter um, mentioning that there were these three studentships and it would be great to have some medieval French uh, representation Uh, in among that this sort of new cohort and that French specific PhD funding uh, was and still is quite rare. Um, So I uh, sat down uh, over Christmas five years ago (laughs) (laughs) uh, and wrote an email basically and that's sort of where it started isn't it Tom really?
0: Yeah
1: I think it's uh, I mean that's how a lot of PhD um, supervisor relationships start I think is through someone emailing um in this case i was as edward explained i was trying to be proactive in terms of uh, putting feelers out to colleagues around the country to see if they had students who would be interested and uh, and then you get an email in your inbox and i think obviously it's important that the project is a good fit um so it doesn't it doesn't have to be exactly what you're working on um but you have to as a supervisor be able to see yourself giving good value you know being the right person for that that project in this case it did so happen that it was um, remarkably close to what I was interested in and I think um, the uh, the topic immediately uh, caught my interest.
0: So was there um, so that you said that there was funding available so was there an interview process did you like what kind of interaction did you have in advance of you starting at Exeter Edward did you speak on the phone or did you meet get to meet in person or
2: so we
1: uh did it via email i think tom isn't that fair to say yeah i think al- almost entirely wasn't it i think by yes. the time I, I actually spoke face to face to you i don't think we ever spoke on the phone but by the time we spoke face to face i think you already had your offer by then
2: i think that's right yeah so there, there was an application process um i actually did something i wouldn't recommend to um future applicants which is i only applied for this one particular pot of funding Um, I, it, this was university funding rather than DTP funding. So looking back, I was incredibly fortunate that I was successful in this respect. Um, I would definitely recommend applying for funding in as many places as possible. Um, but in terms of the particular funding stream that I was on, yeah, there was a, um, an application and interview process, um, so I'd say that our, our correspondence kind of split into two phases, roughly. Um, the first one was when we were kind of hammering out what the project would uh, would be about. And again, that was mostly from me. I think it's, it's fair to say, Tom, I think that's probably the right way of going about it.
1: Yeah, although I think that's quite it's kind of a surprisingly important stage, I think, um, uh, potentially in the as a supervisor, I see that's the time when I can ask questions that that might prompt further reflection might prompt um, revision of certain parts of the IT's improvements um, so that by the time a candidate arrives at their actual submitting their actual application they're in the best possible place I think it's uh, you know if if this relationship is going to uh, work well afterwards it's useful if you can kind of bed it in even in that speculative phase when you don't know if you're going to get to work together I've had other um, students where they weren't successful in funding applications and you could look at that as, as lost time when you um, invest time in, in a student and, and helping them to refine their ideas but actually it's, it's crucial I think once for the, those projects that do get off the ground once you get going because um, then it allows you to um, already know that you it, probably for the I mean I, I'll ask you here Edward but I think for the student it's an opportunity to kind of see how you might work with that supervisor as well sort of intellectually
2: yeah i think that's that's absolutely right um and i remember um being very struck when i um started emailing you back and forth and we started coming to the the second stage in particular which was um i me producing a, a, a rough research proposal uh, and then us kind of, you know, refining it together. I think we went through several versions of it, didn't we? Um, before before I actually submitted it, you know. And I remember being struck um, by the level of detail of care and of interest that, that, that Tom showed for it. Um, it's definitely an opportunity, as you said, Tom, for the student to see how the relationship would work. And it was something that really... Um, made me think that exeter was a place i'd want to go this isn't an advert for the university of exeter or necessarily for tom hinton though i certainly would would make one in a heartbeat (laughs) um but it, it if you get that sense that there's a good dialogue going between you it's it's a really really positive step um nothing made me feel more keen to go to exeter um or to to work with this particular supervisor than the uh, degree of interest that there was and the feeling that this was a project that that you in particular Tom were, were interested in, I think.
0: I think mm. I think that that's a it's such an important part of the process and it's not depending on what discipline you're in. It's not always possible because particularly in the sciences, you're applying to a very specific project, which is led by a very specific um supervisor or principal investigator, but we're kind of in the more humanities arts, social sciences, it's such, so important to have that com- conversation. Cause like you say, Tom, it's not just about how you're going to get work together intellectually, but also about actually what the dynamic of the relationship is going to be. And if that, that that is right for you, it's kind of like an audition, like for you both, like to sort of like, is this, is this going to work for us? Is this going to be, um, the kind of relationship that we're both going to find intellectually and i guess professionally is the word i'd use pr- fruitful yeah so and, and that
1: you want to commit to over a significant yeah. period of time it is a commitment yeah i'm pleased to say that i, I managed to, <laughs> i managed to dupe tom and
2: and a bit years later he's still <laughs> trying to escape i believe
0: so thinking about the sort of the span of the past four years of your supervisory relationship what I guess I'll ask you first Edward what how would you describe the dynamic of it you you talked about how in those initial interactions you felt that there was an awful lot of attention to detail and a sense of care is that did that kind of follow through in the in the rest of the relationship how how would you say the dynamics that
2: yeah I think it definitely did carry on through um so in our first meeting together in September we'd already met in person over the summer but in our first sort of September meeting um Tom suggested that we start by effectively just discussing the document that I've been working on over the previous few months which was the research proposal just seeing if anything had changed in the couple of months since obviously I'd last discussed it with him seeing if anything uh new had come up um, and discussing how we might get started, which in the arts and humanities is often a, a difficult uh, conversation to have. So yeah, it definitely did, I think, continue on that sense of, 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 of care and, and interest. Yeah.
0: What about, what about for you, Tom? How would you kind of describe your dynamic or your working relationship with Edward as a, as a supervisor and supervisee?
1: I think um, the great thing about Edward is that he'll always come to the meetings with ideas, so there's always something to discuss. Um, there's always a, a really, some really, really interesting routes in. And I guess for me, it's been, I, I'd say, first of all, I'd want to talk about it intellectually and then about sort of interpersonally. Um, intellectually, it, it's been an interesting experience supervising a PhD that's really quite close to the kinds of questions that I'm interested in because I've been very aware all the way through of not wanting to, uh, to guide the, the the project in the way that I might have if it was me working on it um, so it's obviously it's crucial that this is the the students project and your role as supervisor I think is to 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 prompt to nudge um, to advise but not to, not to guide or to take over in any way hopefully that's something I, I've managed to avoid doing um, and interpersonally I think it's always been it was very straightforward and easy from the start I think we were lucky from that point of view because you know uh, there's an element of Luck about this as well. Um, so you get a bit of a sense of of your supervisor's personality and your student's personality from early exchanges, but um, in the end, you you're going to bring two people together who hopefully will, will get on. They'll certainly be professional. You know, it's really important to have that professional relationship. In our case, I think we did get on genuinely. You know, we we, we are friends now, and um, and that's a that's that was a really good um, serendipitous thing. But I think. Um, as a supervisor even if you didn't have uh, immediate chemistry with the student on an interpersonal level you obviously have responsibilities and um, a professional attitude that you need to I mean we can maybe talk about that a little bit later on.
0: What you're saying about the kind of the interpersonal but also you know how you work with someone professionally I think it's really important because yes in you know lots of cases you do have that sort of interpersonal connection and you do kind of end up becoming not just you know colleagues or supervisor and supervisee but friends but that's not always the case because it's not always the case with anybody we work with in our professional lives and just because you don't have that kind of platonic connection with someone doesn't mean that you can't work very productively with them on a professional level
1: Yeah I think that's really nicely put actually. (laughs) Um, I think yeah I think um, that's my experience of sort of secondhand experience of other colleagues um, supervisory relationships is that on the whole I think as you suggested at the start most often there is uh, there I mean it's it's quite a natural thing to evolve out of being so closely involved with someone's work um, and not just work but their working life I suppose over Um, uh, such a long period of time that there very often is a strong personal relationship that develops and a supportive relationship but it's not it's not a given and even in the cases where that didn't develop I think the important thing is that there's a strong professional relationship
2: and one thing I'd add to that actually you you were very kind earlier Tom to mention that I, I come to um we call them supervisions I think that's probably a hangover from um where i sort of did my undergraduate and various other bits of terminology but meetings or kind of contact events or whatever you want to call them um i think coming to them with ideas is, is something i would encourage all phd students to do when working with supervisors um tom and i both did um alternate components of the same bit of training i think didn't we tom in, in the kind of the first couple of months. So I had a a a session on working with your supervisors, which has now been developed into an excellent set of online resources put together by our PGRs. Um, And there's an ECR or or supervisors equivalent to that. Um, And I think one thing we both probably took away from the versions of that was that as a PhD student, you have a lot more responsibility for shaping your project than um, you may be used to from an undergraduate or master's perspective. So I would always be possibly slightly annoying in coming to supervision, certainly the early ones with an actual agenda, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which was maybe overkill. Um, But I would always come along with um, ideas of what I wanted to discuss because I was very conscious from the start of the fact that um, my supervisor's time, and I mean, supervisor's in the plural here, because of course it's not just a a one-person supervision job, um, is precious. And I want to effectively milk my supervisors um, as efficiently as
1: possible.
0: You've been working together for four years now on the PhD, but also on a postdoctoral project, which we can perhaps come to a bit later. But how has the dynamic of the relationship changed in that time? I'm interested in hearing from Tom first. Obviously, you know, you helped him put the proposal together or gave him some kind of advice and guidance and you said that you you know because the research areas are so close you didn't want to steer him too heavily but how have things how have things shifted during that time as he's got more knowledgeable about the project I think
1: um I think one thing I should have said probably earlier is that Edward was my first PhD student and so it's been a learning process for me at the same time as I think it has for him um, so I think we both felt our way into the relationship in the in the first the first phase. Um, and I think as is probably natural of most PhD projects, initially, the the initial stages were about Edward getting a sense of what he wanted to work on. And so I, I probably had more of a um, more of a directional uh In um, more of a directional role at that stage. Um, Whereas I think as the project's gone on, and particularly in the last year of it, um, when a lot of work was coming from Edward um, in quite a short space of time, um, it's been nice to see how he's developed his expertise. And I've been, I've had much more of a secondary role, I think, um, in terms of uh, just responding to. The, the kind of big ideas that he was bringing but I think probably that initial phase was uh, I'd be interested to hear what Edward says um, to this but um, uh, was about sort of helping him to see the big ideas that he might pursue and that he might where what kind of direction he might take his his PhD in
2: yeah I think that's a absolutely accurate um, description of what I think your role was there Tom oddly I always found big ideas in some respect like that quite scary so I think certainly in the early stage of the thesis what worked quite well was uh, Tom sort of pushing me to think about the big ideas in response to me producing what were actually quite specific um, pieces of text so one of the things that we decided from the start of of the thesis is that for pretty much every meeting that we'd have i would bring something to the table right i'd bring um i think we said something like was it 1500 words of writing tom as a minimum something like that something like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah when we when we drafted the the supervision agreement um which is something that exeter requires from um phd students and their supervisors both to sign off on um, we said, okay. So if I produce this, that will then lead something to lead us to something to um, to discuss. So looking back, uh, I'm looking now at the first piece of work I ever submitted to you, Tom, and it's slightly painful to read in in some respects. But I can see here how how your role, how you, how how you saw your role fits into that now in terms of encouraging me to think about these bigger ideas. I'm writing something quite specific about certain texts. Um, and I remember you sort of encouraging me to think more broadly, um, and to look at where I might go with all of that. Um, those ideas that I was bringing to the table.
1: Whereas I think more recently, um, the, the latter stages of the PhD, you've been much more assertive about where you think you want to go next, and that's been really great. That's
2: interesting, actually. I hadn't. I, I hadn't realised that. <laughs> um, I mean, clearly, you've been managing it, managing it very, very effectively.
1: I think you always knew you always it's it's this is something that must vary a lot across uh, from one student to another in that, as you say some students are more comfortable initially diving straight into the kind of the big questions um and i think in your case as you rightly said it was much more about working on focused um smaller questions and then seeing what the implications of that were and i think those implications i think you where I think you really developed over the, the PhD is in um, getting to grips with those implications and seeing them a lot, a lot earlier. Well, um, one of the
2: one of the things that I remember being told on my master's um, is that I work best when I have a very specific question to answer. And I think that's still true. Um, but one of the things that I think supervision has allowed me to do is to develop those specific questions into bigger ideas more quickly and more efficiently i suppose if that's fair to say
1: mm-hmm. i think the one thing for you that that's been a constant all the way through is probably the the corpus that you thought you wanted to work on so that has stayed fairly stable hasn't it all the way through fairly the way i mean approached it has 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 really changed i think
2: but yeah the, the the corpus itself has remained fairly uh similar i think the uh the way i approach it as you say tom has changed uh particularly uh, after the the upgrade which was a uh, a challenging point in the PhD for me and I think uh, one where I came to really appreciate um, your role in the supervisor-supervisee relationship.
0: Yeah and I think that's a, a really good segue actually into thinking about that because you talked to, you both talked a lot about the the you know the many many positives and strengths in your intellectual interpersonal professional relationship as supervisor and supervisee but of course you know no research degree is without its challenges so Edward first can you talk a little bit about the upgrade and why that was a why that was such a challenge and maybe Tom you can reflect on how you worked with Edward through that process
2: so to answer that I'm gonna have to be a little bit specific about certain parts of my PhD and I'll, I'll Try and keep this as sort of brief as possible. Um the first year of my PhD, I was basically thinking about a distinctive Anglo-Norman didactic. That is to say, how what was special about French texts in medieval England and how they thought about and engaged with education. Um and I'd spent the year producing effectively a a lot of contextual material um, about the Latinate background to a lot of these medieval texts and the upgrade itself, which uh, for me under the old system happened at the um, in the fourth term. So the sort of the, around the start of my second year, rather than the end of the first, which is the norm nowadays was something of a, a shock.
1: I think, um, I think
2: it's fair. To, was, is it fair to say Tom, it was a bit of a shock for both of us.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely a learning experience for me as well.
2: Um, so effectively, what was pointed out to me, quite rightly, I think, and this is something that um, we had both missed, was that if I'm going to ask the what's special about um, this block of texts, that would require a significant amount of engagement with the texts that they'd need to be compared to, so continental French texts and Latin texts um which was really several phds um Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't really something i could do in one phd um concomitant to that i was also asked okay so you're doing a lot of close reading this this mysterious thing in the humanities we call close reading so what Mm -hmm. where are you going with this um and two phrases jumped out at me from that upgrade report. Uh, The first one was the best backhanded compliment I've ever heard, which was Edward has done a significant amount of contextual work, which will stand him in good stead for primary source material later in the thesis, which is a very nice way of saying, why is there no primary source work in this chapter that you've submitted? (laughs) Um, And the second um, was Edward needs to develop a methodology that goes beyond close reading encompass broader questions of x y and z so those were i think difficult things to hear Um, tom you were you were in the upgrade i think with me weren't you you you'd um you were keen to come along um and i don't know what can i can i ask what your experience was of the upgrade
1: um i think so yeah i wanted to be there i was invited asked if i wanted to be there i wanted to to sit in obviously um edward was happy with that as well Um, to learn because this was my first experience of having a student go through the upgrade, and I think, um, yeah, slightly chastening experience for me as well because uh, I mean there was a, there was good and bad mixed in in terms of the the feedback that you were getting there, right? But um, uh, I think it made me realise that both of us had been unclear, and this I think is the supervisor's responsibility in this case. I should have known. the the process better but i think there are some things you learn just through going going through them and experiencing them um i should have been clearer about what the upgrade wanted so the one thing i learned from listening to the examiners and the conversation they were having with you edward was that um, what they really wanted to see was a sign of how you argued and what kind of um what kind of thesis in in the literal sense of that word you were building, so what kind of argument, overarching argument you were building. And I realized that that was something that we hadn't, because we'd focused so much on getting you um, the contextual knowledge and getting you a a mastery of the the whole area, we hadn't really done enough on that. I think what I learned was, um, I talked a bit about how great it's been to see Edward becoming more confident as he's developed his expertise through the thesis. I think it made me a little bit more confident subsequently um, about um, my role so I mentioned earlier that you kind of as a supervisor I think you need to step stand back and make sure that you don't take ownership in any sense of the of the project but there is a balance to strike where sometimes you you do need to be a little bit more interventionist and I think possibly in that first year um, of our relationship I was probably um, standing back too much maybe I think or not wanting I was very conscious of not wanting to interfere with your voice Edward and your um, your way of approaching, you know, your intellectual. And I think that's still crucial, but um, I think also having gone through the Viva, sorry, the upgrade Viva made me more confident probably about pointing out where, I think if you remember, one of the things that they mentioned was um, that uh, quite a lot of things were in the passive or you were, you were kind of presenting other scholars views rather than uh, taking ownership yourself of the of the topic you were talking about and so pushing you a little bit more to to do that in response to those to those comments um I think that that probably became a little bit more part of what I was doing subsequent to that
2: and this is something which uh you then uh quite rightly began to point out more I think in my writing um my tendency in when I write to hide behind um Authorities and to be a little bit too deferential on occasion. Yeah, um, and I
1: think using quotation where you could actually say things in your own words. So mm-hmm. we'd have situations, wouldn't we, where I'd be saying, oh, there's a passive or <laughs> why, yeah. why are there quotation marks here? You know, couldn't you just say that in your own words rather than. Yes, yeah. Them?
2: Which might sound like a really, really specific point to make, um but it actually fitted into a, a broader development, I think, in terms of how I argued. And it was a really important stepping stone in that respect.
0: I disagree about that being a specific thing I think that that is part of the process of learning to be an independent scholar and learning to value your contribution and your voice because that process is about having the confidence to articulate that in your own words rather than always being deferential and referring to others I think that's part of the a part of the process and a part of the journey. Rather you're trying to
1: work out where you are aren't yeah. you in relation to the field and so some 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 pgrs are going to be very confident being very comfortable being assertive from the off and others are not and it, you know those who are very assertive they may need to tone that down slightly and those who are not assertive enough they may need to learn to tone it up
0: it's a very it's really fine balance mm. really fine balance
1: and in the
2: um in the sort of weeks or months following the, um, the upgrade. I think there were probably two points in the PhD where I was really um, struggling, I think. Um, this is probably one of them, um, it's fair to say. My way out of that eventually was to effectively do the same thing that I'd done in my first year, which was just to pick a text and write something on it. Um, except this time um, we were thinking a lot more about the, the broader implications of it. In particular, um, the focus that the thesis started to take, and this was a suggestion from you, which I bought into very enthusiastically because I realized it fitted very well with what I like to talk about anyway, uh, was that we focus less on what's special about Anglo-Norman didactic texts and more about the environment in which they were um, conceived and used. Uh, Again, getting slightly technical here. One of the really cool things about the work that Tom and I both do now actually on the same project is that medieval England is multilingual. uh, And this is something that does distinguish it from um, what we now call the hexagons as a continental France in that sense. So English is working with French and with Latin and with other minority languages. And this is something that we came to realize should be a much more important part of the thesis. And that's, I think, how we got out of that first sort of quagmire. Um, And I think Tom played a very important role there in reminding me of these big, big questions that I had to consider.
1: So I think it's um, this is a really common thing for PhD students to um, to experience at some point during the whole process, uh, a period of writer's block or of loss of confidence. Uh, There are potential knockbacks. So in in Edward's case, it was the upgrade for other people. It will be different moments. Um, And it's really, I think it's quite a challenge as a supervisor at that point, because your heart goes out to them. Um, But then once again, we've talked about that balance of giving giving space for the student to um, find their feet again, but equally not allowing them to feel like they're abandoned or that they're on their own with it. And and so I think in Edward's case, coming back to writing just a little bit on something focused was a a very... um, good way of getting back into getting back into the saddle, I suppose. Um, but I, I've had, yeah, I, I'm aware of this um, as a general point that um, if, you, as a supervisor, you have a student who's struggling to write something, then you sort of don't want to, you, you kind of, yeah, you want to try and get the right amount of, of um, contact um, because it, you don't want it to translate into pressure from an, another source. But at the same time, I think you do need to maintain an active role at that in that stage as well.
2: And I think the takeaway for me from that period, this is kind of middle end of my second year of the PhD, the takeaway for me there um, was very much one of Tom being there when I needed him to be. I think this was the thing. At no point... I think did, um, did Tom have to step in and say, you've gone quiet, you know, um, how, you know, do you want to meet at some point? Um, but Tom did know when I was writing something, he'd need to give me sometimes a little bit of space. And we balanced that, I think quite well. Um, I remember one, um, one email I received, which legitimately made me, uh, weep a little bit in the office. Um, (laughs) i think tom described me as, uh, as writing beautifully was the word that you used, the phrase you used, tom um stand by that which was genuinely slightly emotional um but it was that sort of that there was that just that moment of you're right you've got this um while i was struggling that was very much appreciated
0: and as we're talking about writing i think you know, it'd be useful to have a, have a quick chat about feedback on written work because it's such a, a fundamental part of the research degree process, because of course, in the end, what you're examined on is the thesis and the viva on the thesis. Um, so I wonder if you could say a little bit about how you managed that, how you managed that um, process of, I guess from Tom's perspective, how you gave feedback on the writing and how you um, approached it. And then from Edward's perspective, how you kind of dealt with that and responded to that.
1: So I think with feedback, something that supervisors need to bear in mind and maybe that students need to bear in mind when reading feedback is um, the, the effect of written, the written format in relation to feedback that you can give uh, through, through the voice um, because there's a, there are all sorts of things we do when we're face to face with someone that attenuate criticism, um, that make it easier to to make suggestions for improvement without them coming across um, painfully. And sometimes with written feedback, I'm aware of this when I mark undergraduate work, when I uh, comment on PhD students' work, and when I write um, uh, do review reports or what um, when I write book reviews or when I do reports for submissions, articles, submissions to journals. Um, across all of that you can come across very aggressively sometimes very dismissively if you're not careful Um, and I think if you do probably if you do get a comment that is uh, uncomfortable it's worth bearing in mind as a student that there may be just a slight infelicity of tone there Um, hopefully uh, the key thing is that the feedback is constructive um, and that means for me it means engaging both on points of detail uh, as I read through as a kind of interested reader, really, um, I sort of I'm having a conversation with the with the text on the page, I guess. But then also engaging with those bigger questions that we talked about. So um, trying to put one's finger on where there's an implication that's not been teased out, whereas there's something that can go further productively. Um, so the, I think that's those two levels on which you work. One is the, the level of detail and the other is the level of implications and uh, consequences where you want to try and help the students see where they could go further. I would add actually that it is possible
2: to um, inject some warmth into um, feedback for PGRs and I think the work that Tom does is a very good example of that um, in that it was feedback rather than correction so I would occasionally get a little note along the lines of oh haven't seen this exclamation mark um, if there was a, an article that I'd come across the previous week that had just been published, for example, um, I hasten to add that was fantastically rare. Um, but I'd also get things like um, nice or good analysis here, you know, which is a way of conveying that warmth and that um, interest in your project. I think the, the the question about sort of mitigation and not not coming across too harshly is one that the Uh, the supervision meeting itself can really help with um so i think we we varied it didn't we tom sometimes you'd send me feedback ahead of a session sometimes you'd do it in the session it sort of depended on how punctual i was in in getting the work to
1: you probably how busy i was as well well (laughs) i
2: vaguely remember sending you like ten thousand words on a wednesday um and (laughs) and that friday was the meeting so i'd always i'd always uh, if i did that i'd say you know uh here's a bit to focus on if you know in in the highly likely event that i'm being unrealistic or or you know do you want to delay by a week or something like that um but there there was there was real warmth i think in in your comments um we also varied i think between print and um pdf in terms of how we did them obviously in terms of the um last few months of the thesis when uh, when we weren't seeing each other in person because of covid um we went to pdf but i think you tended to quite like printing out and writing didn't you tom um yeah yeah that's i think that's just
1: a personal personal preference
2: uh, yeah i think it's one of these things that it might be worth might be worth for PhD students sort of seeing what they what they like as well. So it works quite well for me as well too. Um, the benefit I had of, of that sort of thing uh, was I then had something to take away from. I then go away, usually go a cup of tea, uh, sit down, and just read it all again. And then uh, when I was revising that piece of work a bit later, I'd go through with a massive marker pen and just put a big tick through the comments mm-hmm. when I did them. I don't know if I ever told you
1: that, but yeah. Uh, so um, the the other thing that I want to say is that it might be easy to forget that uh, you know you think of your supervisor as someone who's an expert in their field you, know, you hope that they are but that doesn't mean that they know everything and particularly they don't necessarily know everything about your project and one of the benefits of PhD supervision for the supervisor is that it's genuinely interesting and exciting to follow uh, someone else's project to follow these ideas that are coming at you and that, that you're getting a lot from intellectually as well.
0: Yeah. So it's, it does sound like it's been an incredibly fruitful relationship intellectually. And obviously, you know, it's continued. You submitted your thesis and vibored and got minor corrections and submitted those and are just waiting to hear. Is that right?
2: Still waiting to hear. Yeah, that's um, right.
0: (laughs) And, you know, you've been working together already for, you know, the last part of the PhD on a postdoctoral project. So, you know, you don't continue those relationships if they're not intellectually Truthful.
2: No, I want to say I've been I I, I did mention at the start of this podcast, my worries about giving everyone supervisor envy. I do want to (laughs) apologise because I did get incredibly fortunate, not just in being able to work with Tom, but also in the fact that um, he wanted to keep working with me and in the fact that a particular project came along and got funding at the moment when I was finishing up my Ph.D., and that, because we were so closely aligned in terms of what we worked on,
1: that I was an eligible candidate for that
2: position.
0: I wondered what you had to say about that, Tom.
1: Um, so I think it was yeah, it was serendipitous that this project got funded at the point when it did. Edward's too modest to say this, but he wasn't just eligible; he was an ideal candidate for that role um, because of the skill set that he had. Because I knew that we had this good working relationship. So um, I remember. Uh, uh, my PhD supervisor, former PhD supervisor, um, who was talking to me about this project, um, saying, well, it would, it, it's really important if you're looking for a research associate to think about the working relationship. And uh, the fact that Edward and I already knew each other, already had this, um, this connection and uh, an established positive way of working meant that it was really perfect to be able to interview and appoint him for that post. One thing that, that has been interesting actually in this this phase now is thinking about making sure that it's not just a PhD supervisor supervisee relationship mm. anymore because yeah. we've moved beyond that now and we're colleagues so um, that's been an interesting evolution as well.
2: Yeah it really has um, I think Tom is the PI on the project and I'm the I'm the RA on the project uh, but of, Tom did make so, oh. so
0: some acronyms there that I'll just explain Moment. for our listeners just in case PI is principal investigator and RA is research associate
2: yes uh, Tom did make a point about the difference between research assistant and research associate yes. right at the start of this this position which you think is a valid one um I think this is an extension of the the, the, the PhD mm. um relationship um in that Tom, while not technically my boss, is the person that I'm accountable to on a day-to-day basis. Um, But the way that the project is set up, there's definitely a a difference. Um, In terms of some of the technical skills, I was very fortunate to have some experience in that respect. So the discussions that Tom and I have had in certain areas are very collegiate. Um, More so, certainly, than at the start of the PhD. Our discussions were around... Anglo-Norman didacticism. It's hard to say that. (laughs) You'd thought i have had practice after three
0: years. (laughs) So I guess to wrap up, what I'm thinking would be useful is is just, you know, through the process of this supervisory relationship, so Tom, you said it was, you know, Edward was your first PhD student. um, So you're kind of both new to either side of this. I wondered if you had any reflections or advice for other supervisors or supervisees about what makes a kind of productive intellectually um, exciting good kind of professional supervisory relationship?
2: Can I go first here for for supervisees? I've heard a lot of discussion about what makes a good environment for a PhD student over the last few years and I think that From the discussions that I've heard, the most important thing is not effective marketing. It's not advertising certain resources. It's not X, Y or Z, which you can you can list off very neatly and easily. Mm -hmm. I think it's something more ephemeral than that. Um, It's the idea of finding a supervisor who genuinely cares about you as a person, about what you're doing and about your project as well. Mm. Any amount of advertising about library resources, any amount of um, boasting about research rankings will fall by the wayside if the relationship with your supervisor doesn't work. And I've been very fortunate in finding a relationship that does. Uh, it was actually one that was put on to me by my undergraduate supervisor who when i mentioned the the opportunity of working with tom specifically went yes that one that one do that one (laughs) do it now um but i think if you get a sense that a potential supervisor is someone that you will work with and get on with go with your gut there for current pgrs i'd extend that and say um appreciate your supervisors and what they do there's a lot of training available through the doctoral college in managing relationships with supervisors um and i would encourage you to do that it certainly helped me way back at the start of the thesis and also through the thesis as well to appreciate what exactly um the role of the supervisor is and what you can reasonably and should not expect (laughs) of a supervisor
0: And what about you, Tom? I think um, I'm
1: probably going to repeat um, a a fair bit of, uh, or summarise a fair bit of what I've been saying. I think um, from the supervisor's point of view, remember that each project and each student is different, and that's part of the joy of PhD supervision, um, because you get to uh, be involved in all these different ways of working. Um, Get that balance of being available without being overbearing, and then um, enjoy it.
0: Thank you so much to Edward and Tom for taking the time um, to have a really rich and in depth discussion with me about their supervisory relationship. And I think it's been really fascinating to hear them talk about those kind of initial emails that they exchanged before Edward even applied, right through to now working together um, as colleagues on the postdoctoral project. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between.